Hello, I'm Cheryl Kennedy from the Library of Congress. The National Book Festival is in its seventh year, and it has attracted tens of thousands of book lovers of all ages to the nation's capital to celebrate reading and lifelong literacy. This free event is sponsored and organized by the Library of Congress and hosted by First Lady Laura Bush. This year, the festival will take place on Saturday, September 29th, on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Festival goers will meet and interact with 70 best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. There will be activities for the entire family. If you're unable to attend in person, we invite you to experience the festival online. Our podcast interview series with well-known authors, along with webcasts from the festival, will be available through the National Book Festival's website at loc.gov slash bookfest. We now have the honor of talking with Charles Simic, who was recently appointed by the Librarian of Congress as the nation's Poet Laureate Consultant in Poetry. The author of 18 books of poetry, he has been recognized with several awards, including the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry for The World Doesn't End. Simic's most recent poetry album, My Noiseless Entourage, again demonstrates his ability to engage readers with a brilliant and unexpected use of imagery. Currently a professor emeritus of creative writing and literature at the University of New Hampshire, he is also a translator, essayist, and editor. Welcome, Mr. Simic. On making your appointment, the Librarian of Congress James H. Billington said, quote, The range of Charles Simic's imagination is evident in his stunning and unusual imagery. He handles language with the skill of a master craftsman, yet his poems are easily accessible, often meditative and surprising. He has given us a rich body of highly organized poetry with shades of darkness and flashes of ironic humor. How did you feel about your appointment as the nation's poet laureate? Well, I mean, I was, you know, surprised, overwhelmed, uh, honored, uh, lots of emotions, and, and, you know, very pleased. Uh, uh, it was a complete surprise. I, I came home carrying some groceries and, uh, from the car, and the phone rang, and, you know, I came in and uh, answered the phone uh, and, and found out. So, uh, uh, yes, it was, it was quite something. Now, you said that you didn't speak English until you were 15. Right. Tell me, how did you manage the English language so effectively? Well, I mean, I, you know, I started out, uh, you know, I first started English before I came to this country, but uh, I, I didn't know really very, very much. And But then you were forced to learn quickly once you get, I got here and... Uh, uh, I had to go to school, uh, and uh, and not just school. I, I wanted to go to the movies, which I did plenty of, and you know, watch television, uh, listen to the radio. Uh, I, th- I think when we were, you know, little, my my brother and I, who was younger, uh, I think we watched television when we first came to this country, maybe ten hours a day at least. Uh, and our parents did not object because they thought this was very good, you know, we'd learn English. 
and uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, that's how we learned. So that's one example of too much television being very educational. Extremely educational. Uh, we, we watched everything. I mean, from movies to you know game shows, sitcoms, news, because everything was so strange and, and interesting. Uh, and then, you know, going to the movies uh, uh, also. Uh, I mean, I've seen American movies before when I, before I came to this country, but uh, uh, when I saw them in Europe and in, in Yugoslavia and France, they had subtitles, and, you know, we read subtitles. And, uh, but now we, there were no subtitles. We had to follow the action on the screen ourselves. Uh, so, you know, how it happens is it, difficult to describe. Uh, one is just forced, and, you know, one gets better uh, quickly. Uh, although it takes, truly, it takes many years to really be able to, you know, uh, to speak the language and write in the language. What makes your poetry so accessible? Well, I mean, I try to, you know, communicate to, uh, to someone out there, uh, an ideal reader. Uh, I mean, I always feel that, um, you know, poetry uh, ought to be enjoyed uh, by a much wider audience. Uh, um, I, I want the reader, that reader out there to uh, to know at least, uh, you know, what the poem is about, where the poem is taking place. I mean, just some very simple sort of information that would engage them, draw them in. Uh, in order to have that, I mean, I, I, I try to make the poems uh, accessible. You said that you watched a lot of television and watched many movies. The old adage, an image is worth a thousand words, as a poet, how do you feel about that? Well, I think that's, that's true. Uh, you know, I love images. I, I started as a painter. When I was, before I wrote poetry, uh, I used to draw and paint all the time. And I, I, I anticipated that I would become a painter. Uh, so in addition to going to museums, I you know, looked at art books go to the library, you know, bring home art books. So I always looked at images. And, uh, you know, movies, uh, I mean, I, like every, everyone else, uh, uh, you know, I've seen thousands of movies in my life. Uh, and you know, when I was young, uh, I mean, imagery in the movies, I mean, uh, images that, you know, stuck with me and, uh, uh, it's, it's difficult to forget that when one is writing a poem or one, in a sense, wants to uh, to duplicate that in some fashion, to have memorable images the way one recalls memorable images from the films. Now, artists draw from a myriad of things in their environment to fuel the creative process. What do you draw from? Lots of different things. I mean, I... Uh, just about everything that has ever happened to me. Uh, 
you know, what I see, my, you know, as I get up in the morning and look out of my window and, you know, walk out into the world, uh, also, not just my own life, but, you know, the life of my family, my friends, uh, beyond that, uh, you know, the things that go on in the world. Uh, the world is a beautiful place, but it's also a nasty place. Uh, so there are, you know, lots of things that influence me uh, that come from, from outside. So it's some sort of a combination between very private experiences and memories uh, and this larger reality, which is the reality in which we all live. A reviewer wrote that you had the ability to unite the real with the abstract in poems that lend themselves to numerous interpretations, much like dreams, whether using the metaphor of a dog for the self or speaking to the sunlight. Would you read some of your poetry? Sure. Uh, this poem comes from my most recent book called My Noiseless Entourage. Uh, it's a poem called my turn to confess. A dog trying to write a poem on why he barks. That's me, dear reader. They were about to pick me out of the library, but I warned them. My master is invisible and all-powerful. Still, they kept dragging me out by the tail. In the park, the birds spoke freely of their own vexations. On a bench, I saw an old woman cutting her white curly hair with imaginary scissors while staring into a small pocket mirror. I didn't say anything then, but that night I lay slumped on the floor, chewing at a pencil, sighing from time to time, growling too at something out there I could not bring myself to name. Now, that's really wonderful. Do you incorporate that kind of sense of humor in, in uh, much of your poetry? Well, I mean, yes, because, I mean, I, yeah, the, I mean humor is something that I, I mean, it's part of my, my, my outlook on life. Uh, the comic, I mean, there's always tragedy, but there's also comedy, and often they are side by side. And uh, so if humor comes in, it, it, it just comes without me, you know, having to think about it consciously. It's there because my outlook is uh, like that. Could you read uh, Self-Portrait in Bed? Yes. This is the same, same book. Uh, describes me... Um, uh, in bed, uh, in a rooming house in New York City. Mm, I guess this would be 1959, and uh, uh, you can, as you'll see from the poem, I obviously have a very, very bad cold. Self-portrait in bed. For imaginary visitors. I had a chair made of cane I found in the trash. There was a hole where its seat was, and its legs were wobbly, but it still gave a dignified appearance. I myself never sat in it, though with the help of a pillow, 
One would do that carefully, with his knees drawn together, the way she did once, leaning back to laugh at her discomfort. The lamp on the night table did what it could to bestow an air of mystery to the room. There was a mirror, too, that made everything waver as in a fishbowl, if I happened to look that way. Red-nosed, about to sneeze, with a thick wool cap pulled over my ears, reading some Russian in bed, worrying about my soul, I'm sure. Uh, this is called to, to dreams. And uh, uh, it sort of addresses the strange thing how we, time to time, and we dream obsessively about uh, something that happened, in my case, you know, 50, 60 years ago. I'm almost 70 years old, so... Uh, a long time ago, uh, nothing very dramatic or, uh, I mean, there's nothing obvious about it, but one keeps, you know, going back to uh, the same room, the same wall one was looking at 55 years ago, or classroom, or whatever it is. Anyway, here's a poem to dreams. I'm still living at all the old addresses, wearing dark glasses even indoors, and the hush-hush sharing my bed with phantoms, visiting the kitchen after midnight to check the faucet. I'm late for school, and when I get there, no one seems to recognize me. I sit, disowned, sequestered and withdrawn. The small shops open only at night when I make my unobtrusive purchases. This backdoor movie houses in seedy neighborhoods still showing grainy films of my life. The hero always full of extravagant hope, losing it all in the end whatever it was, and walking out into the cold, disbelieving light, waiting close-lipped at the exit. Harvard Review uh, said about you, there are few poets writing in America today who share his lavish appetite for the bazaar, his inexhaustible repertoire of indelible characters and gestures. Simic is perhaps our most disquieting muse. I mean, I, I don't think that I, you know, look out for bizarre. I mean, bizarre is all around us. Uh, uh, I remember reading you know, a few years ago that uh, some incredible percentage of Americans when polled, I mean, something like, I think I'd say 30% or 28%, uh, Say that they believe that they've uh, that they've been kidnapped by UFOs and taken for a ride in you know UFOs. Now, that's pretty bizarre. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's nothing in my poetry that tops that. Uh, so it seems to me <laughs> uh, that my poems uh, 
uh, you know, look at things, look at the world from perhaps a, an unusual angle, but everything I, I, I talk about is there. Uh, uh, sometimes people say, to, say about me that I'm a surrealist, that I'm this, I'm that. But I'm really a hard realist. Uh, what may seem bizarre uh, is only a surface. Underneath that, uh, there's the hard reality uh, in which we all live. Maybe it's better to say fantastic and unexpected imagery. I think that's much better. Yes. Um, do you have a favorite poem? And if so, would it be yours or would it be someone else's? Oh, I think it would be someone else's. I mean, I have many, many favorite poems, but uh, none of them are mine. I mean, I like some of my poems, but they're great poems by, you know, Walt Whitman, Emily Dickinson, Robert Frost, uh, and uh, a good number of other poets uh, uh, that I prefer uh, to any of my poems. Well, is there a particular poem that you've written that, you really liked a lot or that other people... Oh, yes. I mean, I uh, I like, you know, a number of them. I mean, I like uh, one of my earlier poems. Uh, it's called Prodigy. It's about playing chess. Uh, I like a poem called Fork. Uh, again, an early poem. Uh, I... I like a poem called Stone, uh, also an early poem. I mean, a later poem uh, called Shelley. Shelley, like the name of the great romantic poet. It's a New York City poem. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you know, there are certainly some poems that I, that I like. Now, I understand, like one of our previous poet laureates, uh, Ted Kuzer, that you started writing poetry in high school to get the attention of girls. Yeah. Did it work? Not as well as I anticipated. Uh, it worked better for a friend of mine, but I think it helped the fact that he was much better looking than I was. <laughs> um, now, turning to the role of poetry in our everyday lives, why do you feel it's important for people, especially young people, to read and be aware of poetry? Well, in poetry... Uh, I mean, if you go back, you know, especially through lyric poetry, from the beginning of lyric poetry, and lyric poetry is, you know, by now it's, you know, 25 centuries old. Uh, it's a place where, you know, the life, the most intimate life of an individual takes place. It tells about what it means to exist, to, you know, look at the stars at night, to, you know, think about you know, your life, uh, uh, to fall in love, to fall out of love, uh, to, you know, to do all sorts of things that human beings do and then think about them. Uh, it's also a place where imagination is supreme. I mean, one uses imagination in poetry uh, freely, and the reason poets rely so much on the imagination, uh, poets are short. I mean, most poems are, you know, 15, 20 lines, uh, sometimes a bit longer. But uh, how do you pack all that 
interesting stuff in, in such a small space. Well, it requires imagination, the use of metaphors, similes, you know, other figures of speech. Uh, so I think for a, for a reader, for a young reader, uh, it, it is that encounter. One, reading poetry, one is reminded that one also has an imagination, that one also has, a, uh, has an intimate life, that one also thinks about, you know, what it all means, uh, uh, thinks about God, thinks about the universe, thinks about the future, the past. Uh, nothing brings it so forcefully together uh, as a good poem. Is that what you mean when you, uh, when you said... Poetry reminds people of their own humanity? Yes, that's what I mean. What advice would you offer budding poets? Well, I always the same. I mean, they have to write and they have to read a lot. Uh, you know, you write to, you know, make mistakes and get better. Uh, but like in any art, you have to expose yourself to what other people have done. Uh, I mean, poets, all the poets I've ever known uh, are great readers. They read everything. Uh, if you want to be a movie director, you're going to watch, you know, hundreds and hundreds of movies. If you're going to be a painter, you're going to look at a lot of paintings. So uh, it's it's reading that educates you uh, as, as much as you're on writing. You read, you read, and then... You know, you read great poets of the past, and you look at your own writing, and you say, well, this is not so good. You know, i got to try again, try it differently. And, uh, uh, but that's, that's how everyone who has ever written uh, has worked. Well, of course, we're certainly excited about you being at the National Book Festival on September 29th in the Poetry Pavilion. Thank you. I, I look forward to it, too. What can we expect to hear from you uh, on the 29th? It's a good question, but I have no idea. Uh, I mean, I'll read some poems probably uh, early, middle, and late, just to give some idea of the range of my poetry. Uh, but I don't have a program yet. Well, you talked about the importance of reading. Um, and obviously the National Book Festival promotes reading and lifelong literacy. Uh, what advice would you offer parents uh, to encourage their children to read? Well, I think they should take them to a you know, local library. Um, the local libraries are wonderful places, and sadly they're often, as you know, empty, uh, especially you know, in summer months uh, when... You know, there's no one in there. In, in winter, uh, all people come to get warm, but in the summer, it's empty. Uh, I was lucky when I was uh, when I was young. I mean, uh, you know, we didn't have much money, so uh, to buy books. Uh, so I, I went to the library. Uh, local library. There was a great library when I was in high school in Oak Park, Illinois. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I would say to the parents, you know, take them there, show them. 
all the all kinds of books, there are all kinds of books, uh, you know, big books on art, uh, books about animals, every subject, uh, and, uh, you, know, you know, browse, take the books off the shelves, you know, show it to them. Uh, uh, that's, that, that worked with me. Why do you think it's important for an institution like the Library of Congress, uh, the nation's library, to take a leading role in promoting reading and lifelong literacy? Well, because unfortunately we don't read as much as we used to. Uh, I did watch a lot of television when I was a kid, but I also read a lot of books. Uh, and, uh, you know, I taught for many years. I was a professor. And in the last 35 years, especially, uh, I've noticed, and not just me, but all my colleagues, uh, how much less students read. And the explanation is very simple. There are too many other distractions. Uh, not just television now, but, you know, the, the computer, the web, and the Internet. Uh, so uh, that really is a problem. Uh, students read less and less and they know less and less and uh, if you want to have a, a true democracy you have to have a well-read population what would you want your readers to take away um, from your reading and presentation at the National Book Festival well I, I think the, the most important thing like at any you know performance if you go to a play and uh, any other kind of, you know, cultural event, you want them to enjoy themselves. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, have a specific idea in mind. I mean, I'm not a, you know, minister, you know, who's delivering a sermon, so you know, I want you to take away a specific kind of message. Well, it won't be like that. The poems will be about very different kinds of subjects, and uh, uh, but I want them to I want them to listen to to language, to to interesting ideas, uh, images, and uh, enjoy themselves. Well, I'd like to close out our conversation today with your words um, from a poem that you will probably read at the National Book Festival. I'll read the poem Prodigy, uh, the one that I mentioned, uh, Prodigy. I grew up bent over a chessboard. I love the word endgame. All my cousins looked worried. It was a small house near a Roman graveyard. Planes and tanks shook its window panes. A retired professor of astronomy taught me how to play. That must have been in 1944. In the set we were using, the paint had almost chipped off to black pieces. The white king was missing and had to be substituted for. I'm told, but do not believe, that that summer I witnessed men hung from telephone poles. 
I remember my mother blindfolding me a lot. She had a way of tucking my head suddenly under her overcoat. In chess, too, the professor told me, the masters play blindfolded, the great ones on several boards at the same time. Wow, that's brilliant. What's next on your busy schedule? Uh, uh, I just finished a book of poems, which is going to come out in February. And um, I mean, I'm teaching one course at the University of New, New Hampshire, so uh, that's pretty much it for now. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Simic. The National Book Festival is free and open to the public and will take place on the National Mall between 7th and 14th Streets Northwest from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on September 29th. For details and a complete list of participating authors, visit loc.gov bookfest. Thank you for listening. <laughs>